Welcome, friends, to a time of reflection, inspiration, and faith here at Berwyn United Methodist Church. This podcast version of our worship service for February 4th, 2024, dives into the story of John the Baptist and the timely end found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Before we embark on this spiritual journey, let us quiet our hearts and minds, joining together in an opening prayer. Loving God, we ask that your spirit move among us. Make us especially aware of your presence in this place. So that as we sing praises to your name, as we sing your word, hear your word read and proclaimed, we may hear your voice speaking to us, giving us hope, encouraging us, convicting us, transforming us into your people, so that we might love you more each day and love those around us more and become more like you. We ask this all in the name of Christ. Amen. We'll turn to our gospel reading, Mark chapter 6, chapter, verses 14 to 29. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 40 of the New Testament. The word should be on the screen as well. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying that John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said it is Elijah. And others said it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias's, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee, when his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples had heard about it, they came and his, took his body and laid it in the tomb. This is the word of God for the people of God. This has got to be the worst birthday party ever. Herod, in a flashback, I mean, if we, we're, we're looking at the Gospel of Mark, and like we've talked about Mark, and I've mentioned before, and I keep mentioning it because it's important to remember that Mark has a story to tell. It goes from one thing to the next, immediately following forth and going and going. It doesn't take a lot of time 
to reflect and look back. He's telling you what Jesus is doing. He's telling you what it means. He's trying to get the people hearing his story to know who Jesus is and why it matters. And so we get a little bit of John the Baptist in the beginning, but then we quickly turn to Jesus. I mean, it moves on from, from, from John in the wilderness, and as soon as he baptizes Jesus, the story turns to almost exclusively to Jesus and what Jesus is doing. And so this section feels weird in the context. It feels weird to be talking so much about John the Baptist and his death in a story that's meant to tell us who Jesus is. And yet here we are in a flashback. We hear that, that, that people have been hearing the news about what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying and the amazing deeds and, and the power of it all. And it has people wondering, who is this man? Indeed, we all are wondering as we read the gospel, who is this Jesus and what is he here to do? And how does he do these great things? And why does he have this power? And like us and like them, we don't get it right. We're taking guesses. We know the story, and so we at least have the right answer to say. But in the time, they didn't. And so some thinks he's, he's, he's John the Baptist uh, re resurrected. Or he's Elijah come back, because if we remember in the Old Testament story, Elijah doesn't die. He's taken up into heaven on a chariot. There's this expectation that Elijah will come back. And then we get this big old flashback of the worst birthday party ever. Herod is throwing his party. This is a, a familiar story trope from the Old Testament where a king is throwing a party and then something happens and then the king makes this foolish proclamation, make a promise or ask me of anything and I will give it to you. Now, Herodias's daughter has been sexualized over time. I think she is a young girl, and she's just dancing. She's, she's celebrating this party. She's not, it's not a seductive dance. It's not like that, I think. But it's enough to make Herod happy. And so this makes a little bit more sense when he's shocked because he doesn't expect her to ask for what she asked for. I like some stories on... Uh, some videos on YouTube, you may have seen them, I don't know, you may have heard of it. It's the credit card challenge. Have you heard of this one where you get a kid standing next to a wall, like right next to the wall, you put a credit card against the wall and say, if you can catch this with your head, you get to buy anything you want up to $500. Most of these videos go as you can picture. The credit card slides down, the kid slams their head against the wall, everybody laughs, including the kid. But every once in a while, much to the shock to the parent or uncle or whoever's doing the challenge, the kid manages to catch it. And if they didn't put a limit on the spending, then they're really unsure what they're going to do. And I think this is what has happened to Herod. Herod's having some fun. It's a girl. He expects her to ask for something that a child, a young girl would ask for. But she turns to her mother says, what should I ask for? And Herod becomes powerless. Because in the stories of the Old Testament, the same thing happens where the, the, the king in the court makes a promise in front of, front of a bunch of people and, and they can't back out of it. And Herod can't back out of this promise. He, he loses face. He loses 
prestige. He loses honor if he backs out and doesn't give this girl what she wants. And so he does. And the story moves on with John the Baptist being beheaded in prison, the head being brought on a platter, and that's why everybody is wondering if John the Baptist has been resurrected and is now perplexing Herod even further. And we hear that John is placed in the tomb. The question I kept asking as I was preparing and reading this message, this, this passage is, what did John do to deserve this? Why did John die? It wasn't anything he had done. He was doing the will of God. He was out in the wilderness proclaiming the good news. People were flocking to him into the wilderness to be baptized and to repent. He was doing what God wanted him to do, and he was successful at it. And he was so successful at it that the one who killed him eventually, while he didn't like exactly what he was saying, he liked it enough, he was intrigued enough that he liked to listen to what John the Baptist had to say. Why did John die? Why do bad things happen to good people? How many times have you asked this question of yourself? You see someone who is who's, who's never done anything wrong. They've, they've always done the right thing. They've always chosen God. They, they're, they're honest and upstanding people. They're loved by all. And something tragic happens to them. And we're left with the question of why. Why did this person get into that accident? Why did this person get murdered? Why? And we get fixated on that question and we sit on it and we wallow in it until we cannot spend time on it anymore because the answer is not forthcoming and the desire to have the answer is so great that we simply have to move on. Have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced it yourself? Being stuck in this why, asking over and over again, why did God allow this? Why did this have to happen? Why did this happen to this good person? We are okay when bad things happen to bad people. We are less okay when good things happen to bad people. We're really, really okay when good things happen to good people. That all makes sense to us to some degree. Back in the 80s, a rabbi, Rabbi Kushner, wrote a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And its book and its title is often quoted, misquoted in the title, and that why becomes when, or sorry, that when becomes a why. But I think that book, and I think the message that we need to hear from the gospel reading today, is we need to recapture the when. What do we do when? Bad things happen to good people. What do we do when the world doesn't make sense? What do we do when we don't get the answers that we desperately want because we're trying to make sense of the world? John the Baptist is killed by Herod, his head put on a plate, and his body placed in a tomb. He did nothing to deserve it. He did everything right in God's eyes. And so they're left with the question of what? of what are we going to do next? It's an interesting part of this story that John the Baptist had disciples that followed him, that learned from him like Jesus did. 
it's an interesting part of the story that as uh, John the Baptist claims Jesus as the, the, the son of the Most High and the, and the voice from heavens proclaim it, this is my son, that those disciples stayed with John the Baptist and didn't just say, oh, okay, I'm just going to change sides over here. And he still has disciples as his disciples are the ones that take the body and put it in the tomb. And they're left with the question of what they're going to do next and why this happened. Jesus himself is the per perfect example of this, this question, and, and, and we try to make sense of it. Jesus, as the Son of God, was perfect and blameless in all ways. He did nothing that deserved being placed on the cross. He did nothing to deserve the floggings that he received. He did nothing to deserve all of the bad things that happened to him. And yet they happened. And the disciples for a couple of days followed in the why. Why did this happen? Why did this happen to Jesus? Why in the world would he let this happen? And Jesus came back after the resurrection and told them what they were supposed to do next. The message isn't that bad things won't happen. The message isn't that if you become a Christian, bad things are less likely to happen. The message is that there is still hope in even not knowing the answer why. There are too many things in our life, there are too many things in this world that happen, and we do not and will not know the reason why on this side of heaven as much as we would like to. And when people come to us as Christians of people of faith who have clinged on to Christ and who have this belief that all things will be made right and redeemed, and people come to us asking the question why, if all we try to do is answer that question, chances are we're stabbing in the dark at best or perhaps really causing problems at worst. But what if when they came to us, instead of feeling powerless because we can't answer their, their question of why, instead of feeling powerless and unable to give an answer from our faith, because even those in faith don't know the reason, what if we transformed it into a question of when? What are you going to do when bad things happen? Now that this tragic thing has happened in your life, now that you are facing this, this difficult reality, whatever it may be, what are you going to do next? And this is where our faith can shape us and help us and speak to people in their pain. Because it is the when and the what, it is in the living of the next step that redemption and healing can happen. When we get stuck in the why, when we get stuck trying to figure things out, when we stuck and refuse to move forward until the why becomes so great that we just have to move on completely or give up our faith, if we honestly look at our next steps of how we're going to live in the face of that tragedy, say, Christ, how do you want me to live? The royal that healing happens. Now, every situation is different, and I can't give you a checklist, okay? When this bad thing happens, do this, 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 and this. I just can't do it. There's not a checklist. There's not an easy answer, just like there isn't the word question of why. 
But what there is, what there is, is a path forward. One relying on trust in God that, that he will bring all things to fulfillment. That nothing in this world happens will be left unanswered. That at the end of days, in some cosmic way, that we will have no way of understanding, all of the wrongs of the world will be made right. And again, we have no idea what that's going to look like. But we can have faith that it's going to happen because the one who saves us, the one who died for us, promises us that. So first and foremost, recognize that the way things are aren't the way things that are aren't the way things are always going to be. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your sorrow, there is light. There is hope. It may not be experienced in this lifetime, but it will come. Then in the living, in the doing, going out, out each day, how we treat others in response to our tragedy and our pain. How we look at the world. Do we clam up and cold, become cold and close ourselves and become rock hard? Some people do when tragedy strikes. And I understand that, especially if they've been hurt by someone else. Or do we remain open or find a way to reopen ourselves so that we can rebuild relationships, make sure that we feel the love that God wants us to feel, make sure that we do not turn stone cold. And we do that by being willing to be hurt again, being willing to turn to those around us, be willing to open and not blame someone else for what's happened to us, especially when they're not to blame. And finally, when we take steps, baby steps at first, big steps later, whatever they may be, when we live out that life that is honoring to God, even in the midst of our tragedy and pain, when we remain open, when we seek out others, when we seek to grow and love and find transformation, we experience the redemptive work in our own lives. God at work in our world and at work in our lives because God is transforming what has happened to us into something, something better, something more hopeful, something that can bless others. Some of you may have gone, one example of this is some of you may have gone through cancer treatments. You've been diagnosed, you know somebody who has. Now, one thing you can do is kind of close up and, and stick in that, why, why did this cancer happen? Why is this happening to me? Why, why, why? And that makes sense to ask those questions. But at some point, you've got to decide, what am I going to do next? When this bad thing happens, how am I going to respond? And there are people who have taken their experience of going through cancer, their experience of going through whatever disease or difficulty they've gone through, and they are a voice and a help to those who then go through it themselves. The, the cancer example is support groups, of calling groups, of prayer groups to say, you know, I've gone through this. I've asked the same questions. I've felt the same pains. I've gone through the same sickening treatments. I've wanted it all to end. I've been there and I'm here for you. Grief groups, 
when you've lost a loved one, when you've lost a spouse, and you open yourself up and you welcome other people who have experienced the similar pain to come in and say, I am walking on this journey with you because I've been there before. Those who have recovered from, are recovered from addiction. One of the most powerful things about AA and NA and all of that is people along all parts of the journey, whether they have just uh, got high that day and they're like, I, I just needed to come back, or they've been clean and sober for 20 years, they're still going to meetings. And they share stories of their struggles and their pains and their successes. And the most transforming, the, one of the biggest reasons for that transformation in these groups is they're willing to share the stories and go along each other's journey, being brutally honest with each other. But there are people that say, I have been there, I have walked this journey, and you can too. This is what I believe the role of faith can be. This is what I believe the church can be. If we reclaim what it means to tell our stories that when this bad thing happened, when I was in this place, when I was feeling lost, when I was feeling in despair, when I was feeling alone, when I was feeling unwanted and unloved, when all of the world seemed to conspire against me, this is how I clung to my faith. This is how I recaptured my faith. This is how I lost it for a time. And this is how I got it back. And when we share those stories, not with only with one another, but with others going through those same things, when we recognize that our journey wasn't from here to here, or here or here, wherever you would like to say you are in your faith journey, it hasn't been a straight line. There's been rises, there's been falls, and back up again, sometimes not quite as high as it used to be before it falls again, but now it's back to where I am now, wherever that may be. When people recognize the spiritual journey, their faith journey is not a straight line where not all good things have happened and everything has been hunky-dory and great, and that's why I have faith. When people see that we have faith, in spite of the bad things, in spite of the tragedies, in spite of the suffering, in spite of the questions that we still don't have answered, in spite of all of that, then people can see their own journey. And when they begin their own journey with Christ, and they feel that first dip, they feel that first pain when they have the question of why is this happening? I'm following Christ. I'm live, trying to do what he wants me to do. And this bad thing has happened when they see that somebody else who's sharing their honest story has had dips and has had pains and had suffering in the midst of their faith. They can say, you know, it's not a sign that I do not have enough faith. It's not a sign that God is angry with me. Sometimes it's just a sign that life has happened, or sometimes it's the decisions of somebody else, like John the Baptist, who's put to death. He's in prison, minding his own business, and enough as it is, when because of a dance of a girl and his, her angry mother and a powerless leader who wants to save face, all of that's happening in another part of the castle or in the, in the court. And then John is put to death. We can't explain it, but we can find a new way to live. And sharing that story helps other people on their journey.
and the church will grow, our faith will grow, our community will flourish when we take the stories that we have and connecting with people who have gone through the, who are now going through the same thing and telling them and showing them and walking with them to find that new way of being, that new way of living, that life and hope and redemption is possible. If we can do that, we can be a transforming presence in our community and around the world. Amen. We have been united together indeed as one body, caring for one another with the task of lifting one another up and sharing one another's burdens to be the love of Christ for one another, especially in those times where it's hard to feel it on our own. You can go on our website to the prayer page throughout the week and either enter your own prayer requests or to see others that have been entered to pray for, for other people through the week. And I want to remind you, since it's a little while since I've talked about it, when you enter a prayer request, you can indicate whether you want to be notified when somebody prays for you. And so on there, there's a button there. You can click, I prayed for this. When whoever submitted the request, if they want to be notified, they will get an email that said, somebody just prayed for you. And it can be a, re a reminder and encouragement throughout the week that they are not alone in whatever they're facing. Well, let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you have given us this opportunity to come to this place with these people, knit together as your body, to praise your name and, 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 and experience your presence in the common meal. We give you thanks because it nourishes us, it gives us energy, it gives us people that we can turn to, to share stories with, to hear their story and encouragement, to know that there is change and transformation possible. And we ask that you would help us to share those stories, not only with one another, the people that we have known for so long, but to find ways to share those stories and share that transformation with the people out there who are hurting in our community right now, who have no idea where to turn next, who have no idea where there is hope, who are just hungry, even if it is for just a kernel, a crumb of your goodness, to help us to find those people who are hungry, who desire you, desire something more, though they may not know what it is, and help us to be in those places with your words and your deeds and with what you have done for us so they might get a foretaste of what you offer and desire more for it themselves. We give you thanks for all the blessings that you show us, all the ways that you remind us of your presence all the ways that remind us of your love and your forgiveness, especially in those moments where we're not sure, where we have doubts, where we are stuck in that question of asking why. Help us to shape, help shape our actions, shape our thoughts, shape our prayers, shape our lives so that we might experience you anew. Where our actions, where our words, where our deeds, where the things that we leave undone would take us away from you. Do not shape us into the people that you want us to be. Help us to cut that from our lives so that we might not be distracted. We might not be so far removed from you. We might not be trying to serve two masters. Help us to serve only you so that we might grow more perfect in our love. God, we lift up those people we've, we, we've said aloud this day. We pray for Lee, for Bob, 
for Marilyn, for their children, for all those who care and grieve this day, for all those in need of healing, for all those in need of hope. We ask that your healing hands be upon the sick and the infirm. We ask that you be with the doctors and nurses that are caring for them that feel so overwhelmed by the task at hand. We pray for those hospitals that are overwhelmed, and we pray for those people that are turned away to seek care elsewhere because of it. Give those caregivers your strength, your wisdom, and let their compassion that drew them to be caregivers for others never run dry in the face of such magnitude. Care. We pray for our nation and its leaders, seemingly more divided than ever, our neighbors that used to see each other as neighbor and friend now see each other as not only as antagonists, but even as enemies. Where we get distracted by meaningless things while there is pain and suffering in our world and our communities. Where we're more interested in scoring political points than figuring out solutions. There is a wrong road ahead. And though we disagree on how to get there, May we at least return to the table talking as, as, as fellow men, fellow human beings, fellow country citizens, and not enemies. We pray for our world. We lift up the violence happening in the Middle East right now. We pray for those who are, whose homes have been destroyed, whose lives have been destroyed, who have lost loved ones. We pray for all those who are suffering. But we also pray for those leaders who have the ability to find a new way to dig outside of the trenches of what they think needs to happen and instead find something new so that the violence, as often as it will, doesn't spread, that hate does not increase. We have no idea how, and so we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your desire and your love for justice and mercy. We long for that day when justice will roll down like a mighty stream and help us to see where it is trickling forth from the ground and give us hope. We pray for all people everywhere who are suffering, the hungry, the sick, those in need, those who face heat and the threat of violence wherever they are because of all the barriers we try to erect over who is good, who is right, and who is worthy. Tear down those barriers that we build up and that you tear down and that we build up again. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, whose death and resurrection conquered death, conquered sin, and gives us a way forward and a hope that there will be a day when the world will be as you intend. And the variety of people, the variety of that community, the diversity of that community will be celebrated. And we will be surprised by who is there. But until that day, help us to live as your disciples, to seek you in all things, to seek your will in all actions and to grow more in love with you and grow more like you and how we treat one another. Let us trust in you, rely on you for all things, 
no matter what may come, and let it be well with our soul no matter what. We pray this as your people, seeking to be your disciples. And so we pray, as Christ our Lord taught his disciples so long ago, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now receive this benediction. May you go from this place trusting the one who has gathered you, trusting that in spite of whatever the world throws at you, whatever happens in other rooms that causes pain and suffering, instead of asking why, say, what am I going to do about it when it happens? Trusting in him, trusting in the one that will make all things right and all things new, and finding rest in your soul in the midst of such trial. And now let us pray together the words on the screen that we pray each week. Send to us all the people who feel unwanted and unloved in other places. If they can't come to us, send us to them. May you go from this place trusting in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, finding your rest and your comfort and your peace in him and his love for you. Amen. If you found this message useful, if it's touched your life or offered you hope and support in any way, I hope that you'll look into who we are at Berwyn United Methodist Church by visiting our website, berwynumc.org. There, you can find a little bit more about who we are, see some of the upcoming events that we have, you can support our ministry, or you can visit our prayer wall where you can enter prayer requests of your own or pray for others. When you enter a request, you can choose whether or not you want to be notified when somebody prays for you. And whenever somebody prays for you and clicks the button that they did so, you'll get an email to let you know. As a brief reminder that you are not alone. That you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and a church that prays for you. I look forward to our next time together. Whether here online, like this, or in person at Berwyn UMC in Berwyn, Pennsylvania. God bless.